Okay, wait. This is episode two of Jim Crow on campus. But if you haven't listened to episode one, you need to go back and listen to it. We're telling a story that builds on each episode. So we'll be referencing to past episodes and we don't want you to feel lost. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and via weavenews.org. Wherever you got this episode, actually. Okay, ready? If you need a refresher, we're at SUNY Canon, a technical college in upstate New York where two-thirds of the live-in students are Black and Latino. They're policed by University Police, or UP, an all-white police force. Here's what happened last time on Jim Crow on campus. Me, like the females, open up their purse and move their stuff around, you know, try to see if they could find something that was there, but you know, they didn't find anything on anyone. There was no evidence of any marijuana being in that gazebo besides the smell. And actually, they came back on the third day of classes to my door again, this time for the same thing, the smell of marijuana, but again, there was no evidence of marijuana being in the room. He told us how they've been watching the room for a while now, and it's a lot of traffic coming in and out. But you know, we have we both have friends. He has right. a lot of friends that come in and out. We all play games. We was on the gamer floor in the dorms. You know, why would we not have a lot of people coming in and out, back and forth, playing games? The officer was Brian Kurish, a lieutenant at the University Police Department. He um, threatened to bring dogs up here, like the border dogs, to sniff out the room. He told us a story about how a few years back there was actually a time where someone who lived on campus got shot and by and was killed basically by UP because you know he had drugs on campus and he found all that he tried to leave campus they chased him and you know killed him. I'm Aaron Corbine. I was a student at SUNY Canton. I've been part of the SUNY Canton community for six years. Welcome to the second episode of Jim Crow on campus a Weave News production. I recently had the opportunity to catch up with another SUNY Canton student. We met in an eatery in the College Campus Center, but decided to relocate to a less public area. We ultimately landed at a small seating area just off of the third floor staircase. I pulled the heavy wooden furniture close to an outlet on the wall. I set up my laptop and microphone and we began. Sorry for the background noise. This is what a college campus sounds like. Okay, um, I'm 21 years old and I am healthcare management major here at SUNY Canton and I'm a senior. It's my fourth year here. This is Ashley. She's reluctant to use her real name, so for privacy purposes, I'll be referring to her as Ashley throughout the episode. At first, I wanted to be a vet tech and I love the program here, but I also but then I changed healthcare management because I don't know if their program appealed to me more. And I love the campus. I love the community here. As a senior at the college, Ashley has experienced most of what the average student of color can expect to experience. She's enjoyed most of her time at SUNY Canton. 
involving herself in several clubs and organizations, she's become a very active member of the college community. However, her experiences with university police have been vastly different. I've had very negative altercations with them regarding my first module that I got in in 2014. Okay, so remember modules from episode one? They're those things you get when the police give you a write-up, which they can only do to students because the cops are employees of the university. They're like tickets, but not tickets since they're a function of the university administration rather than the court system. And the standard for evidence is lower. Your first violation of drug and alcohol policy gets you a module, an online class that costs you $30 and automatic housing probation. Your second can get you suspended. And if you get suspended while you're receiving financial aid, you're responsible for paying back any financial aid given for the time that you weren't in school. It works like this. Say you're like Tyreek from episode one. You're on housing probation for a write-up and the cops are at your door on the first day of classes. If he'd gotten another write-up, he could have been suspended, which would have meant that he'd be responsible for paying back 100% of his financial aid. In his second week of classes, that would have meant 93%, third week 86%, and so on and so on. So not only are you out in education for the semester, but you're thousands of dollars in debt. No degree means no job, and no job means that you can't pay back your debt. And not only that, but if you get kicked out and need public assistance, the government counts your financial aid as income, never mind that it's actually debt. And that means that potentially you already earned too much to qualify for public assistance. That second write-up, it can potentially leave you homeless, thousands of dollars in debt, and ineligible for public assistance. Want to enroll at another college? Too bad. You'll need your transcripts to transfer, and SUNY Canton won't release your transcripts as long as you still owe them money. So if you're not a student, getting busted with a joint is a $100 fine in New York State. If you are a student, you can be left homeless, in debt, with no way to transfer your credits to another college. And this is a real fear for many students. Almost everyone knows someone who, for whatever reason, left without graduating. According to IPEDS, the Integrated Post-Secondary Education Data System, Black and Latino graduation rates are just two-thirds that of white students at SUNY Canton. Okay, so back to Ashley. She's referring to her freshman year, her first interaction with university police. A fire alarm went off in Kennedy Hall, where Ashley lived. Kennedy Hall is a dorm building of exclusively apartment-style suites. I had come back into the building after the fire drill, and they had my door open, and they were both in my room. And they were asking me questions, and they said if, they, if I didn't cooperate, I, I would be arrested and I would probably face like a worse punishment if I didn't cooperate. So I handed over um, one of my pieces to them mm -hmm. to avoid being arrested and they took it and I got a module. To clarify, the piece that she's referring to is a smoking pipe. They're perfectly legal to buy in New York, but once they've been used to smoke marijuana, they become drug paraphernalia the possession of which is a class A misdemeanor and can land you up to a year in jail. So what prompted them to come to your room specifically when there was a fire drill? My, my roommate's off the fire drill, so they had to come in and search each room. 
As a freshman in college, when you return to your dorm room after a fire drill and the police greet you with, give us whatever you have or we'll arrest you, it's kind of a no-brainer. Ashley's pipe was completely unrelated to the cause of the fire alarm going off, but when threatened with an arrest, almost any student will dig up whatever paraphernalia they have to avoid getting into serious trouble. University police gave Ashley a write-up and referred her to the conduct office where she was placed on a year-long probationary period. I had, I was in a warning. This was my first warning. So okay. my second my second time would put me in, pos- in jeopardy of being kicked out. <coughs> okay. That's why I was very scared and distraught after I got my second module, after they searched my things illegally, because that's my property. It was in my bag, my duffel bag. She's now speaking about her second interaction with university police. A similar situation involving another fire alarm. I'm hanging out in Liberty and I get a phone call from my friend asking where I am. Liberty is an off-campus apartment complex where a lot of SUNY Canton students choose to live. And she sounds weird so I don't tell where I am and she says that I that I have two officers in my room waiting for me to be arrested because they searched and found marijuana in my bag. But, and I know for a fact, because I got that first module, I made sure all my stuff is hidden away. So there's no way it was in plain sight. It's normal for UP officers to search through some suites following a fire alarm. They need to make sure that there's not a fire, and if there is, that no one's trapped, passed out, etc. But Ashley was sure that the officers had searched through her personal belongings. She had a rolled joint zipped inside one of her backpacks which is what university police were threatening to arrest her for. Despite SUNY Canton's firm stance on their no-drugs policy, this amount of marijuana does not solicit an arrest. In New York, anything less than 25 grams of marijuana, about 75 joints according to this 2016 study from a journal called Drug and Alcohol Dependence, is just a violation, pretty much the same as a traffic ticket. The officers knew that. Ashley didn't. I avoided campus. I stayed off campus that night because I was nervous and scared what could happen. So I emailed the dean that night with my friend's laptop, telling her the situation, telling her that that's not fair for them to um, search my bags. And she said that I would have to wait and take it up with the conduct officer. And then that morning I received a call saying that I have to come in immediately. And I had talked to the conduct officer and I asked her that I asked her if it's uh, okay for them to search my bags while I'm not there. Search my things if it's not in plain sight. I don't understand. And she said, because if it's a fire drill, I guess if it's a fire drill or it's an emergency, they have authorization to search the rooms and our rooms and our things and stuff. I didn't I didn't understand why, but it didn't make any sense to me. But she still gave me my module, and that was my second one. And that put me in jeopardy of being kicked off campus. Right. Just my second violation. So there's an exception to the Fourth Amendment, the freedom from unreasonable search and seizure, called the Plain View Doctrine. Basically, if police officers in their normal course of duty, like checking rooms for evidence of a fire, see any contraband, like marijuana, they have a right to confiscate it without a warrant. Our courts have ruled that that's reasonable search and seizure. But there's checks to this. The police have to see it, like see it, see it. Like the name says, it has to be in plain view. 
30 years ago, in a Supreme Court case called Arizona v. Hicks, the court held that the police officers weren't even allowed to move objects around to get the objects into plain view. Plain view means that they're not allowed to physically touch anything. But the police at SUNY can't and have a way around this. Remember Tyreek from the last episode? He made like the females open up their purse and move their stuff around. This too. He came inside the room and questioned us about um, a bunch of different things. Like he asked what was our majors, he asked what are we doing in here, just basically interrogated us inside the room. And he was in there without a warrant, but he was in there with my roommate's um, consent. But he didn't get consent to search anything without a warrant. So what Kirsch had us do was open up the drawers in the room and he looked through with the flashlight without actually physically touching anything. Did you catch that? The police order students to move the objects around. They don't physically touch anything themselves. That way they can skirt around the Hicks ruling. If that doesn't work, they can use write-ups and modules to intimidate students. Here's Ashley again. I spent the weekend hanging out with my friends and stuff, and I had community service on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. And I went, and we were there all day. I'll come back to my room. I wasn't in my room for five minutes. I hear this bang on the door, and I looked through people, and sure enough, it's Officer Cummings, it's UP again. And long long, he's been at my modules each time, each time I've gotten one. And I opened the door and I asked, may I help you? And he asked to come in, I said no. And he said, oh, well, I got calls saying it smells like marijuana. I'm like, okay, I just got in the building, so I don't know what to tell you. I just got in the building, you can check the cameras. I literally just walked in here. He's like, well, that well, that doesn't matter to me right now. Is anyone else home? I'm like, I don't know, I just got here. And he kept acting, asking to search my room, and I said no, because the room was dark. I didn't hear anybody. And I was banging on the door, and. I had had my roommate come in and uh, unlock the door for me. So I knew she was home. And she came to the door asking, and he asked for her name and my name. And he said, well, since it smells like marijuana and none of you can help me, I'm not going to write you up. I'm like, how is that fair? I'm like, so if anyone of us answered the door, we would have been written up. I'm like, you have no facts, so we did this. You have no facts that it's our room. It's the hallways. The hallways reek all the time it's a college campus how do you know it's my room and he said that wasn't his problem and since we didn't want to cooperate we were getting referred to the conduct officer and then that next day that morning got a call from Kristen Roberts and I received another referral which put me on another probationary period and put me in even more jeopardy so right now I'm walking on very 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 thin ice right if I get in any sort of trouble, I am kicked out. Right. Possibly expelled from the school. She's home this time. I get kicked off this campus and kicked out of the school. I get another one. Ashley told me how it feels to have the threat of suspension or expulsion hanging over her head and how that shaped her interactions with the police. I avoid them. I avoid them all the time at all costs. If I see them, I turn the other way and go the other way because I feel like they're going to try to get something, find any little thing to pin on me all the time like oh i get a little minor parking ticket why my car out of the whole bunch like come on it's not fair i walk outside and i decide to go to my car in the suites and i see them pull up and they uh they get out of the car and they just watch me walk over to my car 
Like, there's no reason for you to be watching me. I might, might be me be paranoid, but it's always happening. Kirsch, always. Because he knows me, my name. So every time he sees me walk by, he just watches my every move. And it makes me feel uncomfortable. It doesn't, it doesn't make me feel secure having them here. It makes me feel like anything I do, I'm going to end up in jail or kicked out of school. And my education, my career is going to go down the drain. And I told my parents, I told my parents multiple times, I do not feel comfortable if anything ever happened to me. Don't call UP. Because they're going to be more worried about giving me a module than helping me. I told my friends that. And they, they agreed the same, they, they feel the same way. Because that's all they care about is getting their quota, getting their quota of modules. I asked Ashley if she felt like she was being singled out. That's why I avoid them. I feel like they're watching me and off to get me. So you do feel like they target certain people? All the time, all the time. All the time I feel like they target, they, they always target the black kids, I feel like. Because all my friends, now I'm thinking about all the encounters. It's always been people of color. Ashley told me what these interactions look like in practice. I was walking past the library and Officer Cummings was on that little path. He had uh, binoculars and he had stopped and was looking down at the gazebo. And I could see that it was a bunch of uh, uh, colored kids and he's just watching them. Watching them. I, I, I was walking, I walked all the way past Neville Dine and he was still there watching them. It was just weird. To me, that's just wrong. You're watching kids from a distance, that's just creepy. You got you have nothing better to do but watch people smoke cigarettes in the gazebo. I asked Ashley to describe the mood on campus as she sees it. Students don't trust them. I don't feel comfortable and no, and no one else should either. And the divide between us and UP is just, it's crazy. We are polar opposites. We, we don't trust them and they don't trust us. They don't even try to interact with us. They don't try to build a relationship with us, ever. You see them attend certain ceremonies, but you can look in those ceremonies. They're what, they're two color kids? But any other events happen on campus, they don't give, they don't give a damn, never come. They don't try to build any relationships with students. So why, so why should we? Do you feel like, like if they, attempted to have a better relationship like like came to events and were more just like friendly do you feel like that would help if they change their demeanor and the way they talk to students it would help a lot because they always come off rude disrespectful they just treat us like we're dirt like treat they treat us like we're uh, prisoners and there are guards i'm aaron corvine and this has been the second episode of jim crow on campus our producer is Christian Exo, and we're a production of The Weave News, online at weavenews.org. The Weave, weaving the world together one underreported story at a time. Students who have experienced discrimination and would like help filing a complaint or discussing their options with an attorney may go to wegotyour6.org. That's wegotyour and then the number 6.org. Next time on Jim Crow on Campus. But as a result of this um, misunderstanding, I was forcibly kicked off the campus with uh, 24 hours given to gather my belongings.